What we do here is go back, 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 back. back. And welcome in to episode 41 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Statman, and as always, I am joined by my good friends Angelo Inglisa and Jake Long as we rewatch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. And this week, we are going back to a place we have not been. It's a ground that we have not tread upon. Episode Since four. What? Yeah, episode four. It's been a long time. Since we have gone back to the friendly confines of Extreme Championship Wrestling. We are talking about ECW Hardcore Heaven 1997, the second ever pay-per-view event in the company's history. There is a lot of what made ECW good and a hell of a lot of what made ECW bad in this show. And I am just really been looking forward to talking about this one. What's going on, boys? Not much. I mean, we got snow uh, slated to come in, so I might be getting snowed in tonight. So all the more reason why it's cool that we're doing this podcast here a little bit later than usual. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, this was I was excited for ECW when you start up the uh, Hardcore Heaven and uh, watch WWE on the WWE Network. Uh, I was like, okay, cool. This is some real old school ECW vibes. I'm ready for it. I'm excited for it. And then you start watching it, and it's just like you keep on waiting for it to hit that gear. I feel like they hit it in some places, but it's not enough throughout the card. I feel like ECW nostalgia has become such a big industry in and of itself in yeah, pro wrestling sure. over the last 20 years that, like, especially if you're, like, from our generation, we grew up after ECW really existed. We never watched it live. Like, maybe the most you had seen is you watched, like, like ECW One Night Stand on, like, when WWE did that in, like, 2005, 2006, which were legitimately really good shows. Like... You probably think, like, oh, yeah, ECW, that shit kicks ass. Like, it's going to be awesome. And <laughs> you, then you watch, you actually watch it, and, like, there's a lot of really cool stuff, but it's also, like, there's a lot of really, like, there's a lot of shit. Like, there's a lot of just kind of stuff that's not good. Yeah, absolutely. Angela, uh, really quickly, are you getting snowed in with a special someone? Come on now, man. <laughs> does my no, dog, just, does, I, does my dog count? I love I, my dog. That's my one per episode. Shout out to what culture. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this show was uh, was hardcore hell, huh? Ah, 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 ah. I would like to December. Like, I would like to December to, de- to December <laughs> to unremember this card. <laughs> I would like to um, um, EC. I couldn't stand it. I was gonna say I cannot one. Uh, I cannot one night stand this pay, uh, pay-per-view. There you go. Okay. Yeah, I no, actually like, I didn't think it was that bad. But. No, I, I thought it was. I thought there was a couple of good matches, and like ECW, like you were saying, just has that nostalgia thing that kind of makes you watch it through like rose-colored glasses. Where even though it's bad, you're like, man, I'm watching ECW in 2021. This is fine. And David, I think you said this on the episode four. Is like if if we were our age now, back in the late 90s. We would probably all be marking out for ECW. Oh my god! Because yes, ECW absolutely. just feels like it's perfect for the time. It, not, when I look, watch an ECW event, it, it screams the '90s. It screams grunge. It screams just angry violence for the sake of angry violence, and I love that. Um, 
but as far as like executing a card, especially I think this is again second pay per view. They're not doing this in the ECW arena. They're doing this down in I think it's Fort Lauderdale. Here, yeah, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, and it's just like the crowd doesn't mesh with what's going on. Um, even the match flow in a lot of these matches isn't great, and it ends up kind of like dragging everything down even if the quality like you have all your typical ecw guys i actually think there's a really interesting match here too that might be surprising to you guys it's definitely surprising based on the melter ratings for this card uh but they do a lot of things they try a lot of new things and just a lot of strikeouts i think for this this card in general yeah and also ecw has taz but taz is cool and we do love Taz. This has always been a pro-Taz podcast. I am very pro-Taz. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Angelo, as you say, I mean, I-, I think we all agreed and we said this. The first ECW show that we did, uh, we would 100% if we lived 20 years ago be just the like the mutant ECW. <laughs> like, I would be I would be like an overweight kid wearing a Marilyn Manson t-shirt and I would be freaking out in the in like the 15th row of this show. I would be, I would be, I would dressing, be going crazy. I'd be dressing like Balls Mahoney every day of my life. I'd be wearing a Neil O'Donnell jersey and acid watch <laughs> jeans. Hell yeah. You'd be the only one of us who has <laughs> Oh god, what kind of alternate universe is this? Dude, yeah. Angelo Angelo has a Neil O'Donnell jersey and he's just he's really cool. You know? <laughs> yeah but yeah another you know another timeline in which we're all happier people than we are now <laughs> but we don't have an unsuccessful podcast oh so that's true. it's a trade-off it's a trade-off but i think it sounds like we're ready to remember some guys oh there are a lot of guys to remember on there this are, show too. yeah let's get through the guys okay well Let's remember some guys. So, it is August 17th, 1997. We are at the War Memorial Auditorium in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Not exactly a classic ECW town, but that's (laughs) where they have chosen to put the second ever ECW pay-per-view. We've got 1,800 fans in the building. Uh, Like I said, second ECW pay-per-view just a few months before they had held their first pay-per-view ECW barely legal. I don't know if there are any good like podcasts or shows about the history of that show and how that came together. It's a really fascinating story. Uh, they only just barely got any ba- any pay per view companies to put it on the air, <laughs> and then they do the show, and like seconds after they go off the air, the generator powering the building explodes, and, and they barely got it in before they would have been completely knocked out. Incredible. Really a fascinating story, but Barely Legal goes off without a hitch. It's a success, and now ECW is made. Their thing now. So we start off, we have got the classic ECW announcer, Joey Styles. He's going to be flying solo tonight on commentary. One of the most Italian men in the world. He's got, um, you know, he's he's in the ring. He's promoting the main event. They're at the crowd of 1,800 is chanting EC Dub, and they're all excited. Uh, Styles is kind of promoting the main event and running down the card a little bit. And then who comes out but a Two and a Half Marks podcast favorite, Ravishing Rick Rude, is in the building. <laughs> and 
So Ravishing Rick Rude had been in ECW for a brief run earlier in 97. He had just recently returned to WWF. But as we will see later on in the show, there was a working relationship at the time, a talent-sharing arrangement between WWF and ECW at the time. That forbidden door was wide open. Damn it, I was going to say that. Yeah, screw oh, you, God, Angelo. Shut up. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so, so Rick Rude had come back to ECW, even though he was under contract to WWF. The fans hate him. They chant, you sold out. Really loud chants at Rick Rude. He takes the mic. He does the whole, you know, fat, out of shape, sweat hogs gimmick. He does his speech. And then he intros the next television champion of the world, the late, great, no gimmicks needed, Chris Candido. He's going to be in the first match. Um, he is going to be challenging for the ECW television title against another two and a half marks podcast favorite. As we mentioned, this has always been a pro Taz podcast. It is the human suplex machine, Taz. A cool guy, man who's always been cool as a wrestler, cool. As a commentator, cool. And now as a manager, hella cool. <laughs> we respect Taz here on this podcast. Angelo, uh, why aren't you wearing your Team Taz t-shirt right now? Why are you, you're, you appear to be wearing some sort of Pittsburgh Pirates jersey? Chris Archer jersey, by the way. How, why do you oh, own that? What? I went, uh, when we went to the Pirates game back when I was teaching for like a field trip, I, this was the jersey I got. I don't know why I chose Chris Archer. I was like, oh yeah, I remember him. He was involved with that uh, trade. I'll, I'll grab his jersey. And now he's not a Pirate anymore. So very yeah. cursed jersey here. A trade that is universally regarded as an almost unprecedented disaster for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Which is said, which is saying something. Yeah. Well, that's great. But no, Ta- I, again, I love Taz. He's like a very angry uncle, but he's just super cool. Yes, he is super cool. So yeah, it is Chris Candido challenging Taz for the belt. Candido's got Rick Rude in his corner, but before the match starts, uh, the commissioner, Todd Gordon, he's going to get in the ring. We see him later on as well. His voice is basically cracking while he's on the mic, and he says, Hey, Rick Rude, you you, you better get lost, or Chris <laughs> Candino's going to forfeit the match. And then he very weakly starts counting to ten, and uh, Rick Rude eventually just decides, Screw it, I'm not going to do this. I'm going home. He leaves. <laughs> so the match starts. Taz, who at the time is like the most badass man in the world, uh, hits all these suplexes and he hits all these judo throws and all this stuff. Um, and, and this just turns into a, a pretty good starting, a, a pretty good opening match, very technical and hard hitting. Um, Taz doing his submissions, doing his cool suplexes, and Candido coming back and getting a, a lot of offense in himself. I thought this match got into a pretty good flow and had some cool moves. Uh, Candido hits a top rope Hurricane Rana, comes off the top rope with a diving headbutt. But Taz kicks out. He fires up. He puts him in a bow and arrow submission. But Candido escapes, hits him with a huge power bomb. But Taz ends up kicking out of that. Taz hits a belly to belly suplex off the top rope. He hits a German suplex where Candido like flips over and essentially lands directly on his head. He then hits a T bone suplex. Candido gets up. He hits a cool power slam out of the corner. And then the finish actually is a little bit weird. Candido kind of puts Taz up on the top turnbuckle and just starts showboating for some reason and like turns his back to Taz, which makes him look like a complete idiot because Taz's finishing move is a rear naked choke. And Taz just grabs him and puts him in the Taz mission and Candido taps out. 
and Taz retains the TV title in 10 minutes and 52 seconds. Is there anyone that's 5'9 that's as intimidating as Taz or more intimidating? <laughs> it's sure as hell not you. It's definitely not me. I was I, I was never going to put myself in the conversation. Is, is Taz really only 5'9? He's billed at 5'9. He's wow. billed at 5'9, but that man is not 5'9. Dude, he, no, I, see, I thought I thought he looked like a normal sized human. Him and Candido. Candido is actually billed at I think five at eight. Yeah. Oh you're my right. god. Just yeah. a couple, just a couple small Italian men from uh, the tri-state area. <laughs> this <laughs> could be you. This could be you. This could have been me twenty years ago. There's a non-zero chance that the, uh, those guys are in the mini division if they were in AAA in the nineties. <laughs> I mean. No. But but like both these guys too, like they don't look small when they're in the ring. Like it just looks like okay, these are two well superstars, wrestlers, however you want to brand them. Just gotta have a match. Up, uh, WWE man, that's it's poisoned me. Uh, but like they're just like they just look like dudes. They look like guys that are gonna have a match. It doesn't look like oh man, I'm worried about the size of the two guys. I don't think like that's gonna affect my entertainment value. It's just two guys that are gonna have a wrestling match. Angelo, yes, Chris Candido. All right. Five foot eight ish Italian man from Central Jersey, <laughs> really good wrestler, and dated Sunny in her prime. Where? What is? What is? This could be you, Angelo. This could have been you. It could have been me, but unfortunately, I was just an absolute social pariah in high school and middle school, so I had no confidence to do anything. I still don't have confidence to do anything now. Oh, wow. Wow. Damn, <laughs> I, I didn't mean to go that far. Shit. <laughs> nah, I'm kidding. I, if I didn't have confidence, why'd I be doing this podcast? Come on now. I may, I make my of myself look like a fool all the dang time. If I didn't have okay. confidence in myself, I would not now be confident this, to do this. Now that this is weird, let's talk <laughs> about this match. So I thought that the finish was actually really cool. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of like a snake like sneaking up on a kill. Like Candido, like David said, Candido looks like an idiot, but he's like showboating, and then you see Cat Taz like rise from the dead. Well, you and see, just slap on the rear naked choke. You've seen NXT do that too. Like you have Keith Lee like popping up on the apron behind Finn Balor uh, in a title match. So I mean, it's a very. I think I like that spot. I think it's really cool, especially when you see Taz also taunt Candido behind his back before locking in the submission. I like that too. I I don't I just I don't like it because I mean. If you want the heel to look like an idiot, then fine. I mean, like part of part of being a heel is you got to look like an idiot sometimes. But I don't really compare it to the Keith Lee thing because it's not like Chris Candido like maybe lost track of where he was. He like puts him up there, like purposely puts him in that spot, and then f- proceeds to forget the fact that like Taz's finishing move requires him <laughs> to be at that like exact height, like in re- like relative to Chris Candido's body. And requires Chris Candido to be facing away from him. And he's like, all right, I'm just going to put you up here. I'm going to turn around. Nothing bad can happen here to me right now. And then he dies. He sucks. He's a complete idiot. I will say. Well, it was, I thought it was fun. I don't know. It's an opening match. It kept me entertained. I thought it was fun. Um, it was interesting to see Taz work a one-on-one match. Because the only other time we saw him was in the three-way dance for the ECW title against Mike Awesome. I want to say Tanaka. Yeah, it was Masao Tanaka. Tanaka. Yeah. yeah, and Tanaka and Awesome combined to knock him out early. So that was pretty much just a one-on-one with Awesome and Tanaka. So Which, Mike Awesome and Masato Tanaka, baby. Ooh. That was, <laughs> that was, <laughs> that was still, like, I'm thinking about that now, and that was just an absolutely fantastic match. If you haven't, go listen to it. Audio quality's not there, but man, 
I think our talk about that main event was just beautiful. Kick but, ass. but like for this match, like it, Taz always had that, um, like he's always got that intimidating presence. He always feels like a guy that is kind of like on that Brock Lesnar level of just, he's just an absolute badass. He shows up, he wrecks shit, and he leaves. And I think this, like, having a match like this shows that you don't always have to book your top guy or a guy that can be at the top in squash matches or just, like, quick matches that show how strong he is. Like, you could have him work a normal match with a guy, uh, no gimmicks need, Chris Candido. Which, by the way, no gimmicks is a great gimmick. I, I love the, like, just the self-awareness in that. Um, it is solid. Finish is good. It's not a perfect match by any means, but you seeing Taz just do a lot of different suplexes and throw Candido around the ring, that that itself has some entertaining uh, entertainment value. Yeah. I think that Taz is a perfect example of why presentation is everything. Because he is he just the way they presented him and the way his kind of he worked his style, he came off like the most badass shooter of all time. Yeah. And he was not like a shooter, you know what I mean? But he came off that way. He came off just like, this is a bad man that you do not want to fuck with in real life or in any type of life. You know? It, and, like, and even Kurt so has, cool. I wouldn't. Yeah. Kurt has looks like, like he's a bouncer outside a bar who will really mess you up. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know... I don't know shit about Taz's, like, actual fighting ability or credentials, but I feel like... <laughs> I would take him in a fight against literally anybody on earth. But I have no reason to believe that outside of like having watched him wrestle. And that's all <laughs> presentation. That's all that's why it's so important. I think that I also think that Taz would be the type of guy that like no matter what, he's got like three homies that are a hundred percent on his side. Yeah, he's got Ricky Starks, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Brian Cage. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I really liked this match. I thought this was a good opener. Yeah, yeah I, I, I did too. You guys like to finish more than I did. I thought the finish was a little wonky, but it didn't like ruin the match or anything for me. I just thought, you know, it made Chris Candido look like a total dipshit. So whatever. Hey, if that's what you're going for, then then fine. The mission accomplished and, you know, we're we're happy. So next up. We've got a, uh, a, a fun little little clip. Yeah, Joey Styles talking about, you know, hey, man, you know, all kinds of crazy shit happens here at ECW. So they show a clip from before they go on the air of the show. They've got insane clown posse performing for the crowd here in Fort Lauderdale. And then Rob Van Dam shows up and just for apparently no reason beats the shit out of ICP. And then Sabu shows up and drop kicks a chair into one of their faces. The one thing about ICP is like, you know, say what you will about the concept of like evil clown rappers, but those dudes loved wrestling and those guys would take bumps. Those guys like actually learned how to work a little bit. Yeah, they're bump like even this, and I think we saw them one of the WCW death of WCW events. They can they can sell a little bit. They're not bad yeah. sellers. They actually kind of took the time and the effort to make the shit that they did actually look solid. So I respect that a lot. Is Bad so, is Bad Bunny the first real like performer that has actually taken wrestling seriously since the ICP? I would say, um, <clears throat> yeah, maybe. Probably. That's like being consistent about it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, I mean, Bad Bunny is showing up to, to tapings every week. Like, you yeah. don't get much more consistent than that. 
Yeah, and like when you read about it, it's like like Bad Bunny has genuinely been a huge fan since he was a kid, you know? And yeah. like ICP, those guys were also like really big wrestling fans. They were like excited about actually doing it. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to do this because like, you know, media exposure or whatever the fuck, or that they're right. paying me a lot of money. They're there because they want to be there because they love wrestling. So Yeah. Angela, what's your, uh, what's your favorite ICP song? I, I don't think I could give you one. I don't think I could name one <laughs> I ICP song. I, don't know I, I song. could, I could, I could. Okay, what's, the, what what's, the, what's the Mysteries song? Ah, oh, shit. I don't know. <laughs> oh, no, it's called, it's called Miracles. Yeah, it's called Miracles. Miracles. Okay. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's the fucking Magnets, How Do They Work song. That's, like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> That's my favorite one. I need to pull up the lyrics here. One second, dude. I got this right here. Oh I just, I, as I was watching it, I was like, man, I bet you Angelo has nothing to say for what his favorite ICP yeah. song is. <laughs> Absolutely right. nothing. I see, I see miracles all around me. Water, fire, air, and dirt. Fucking magnets. <laughs> How do they work? And I don't want to talk. <laughs> and I don't want to talk to a scientist. Y'all motherfuckers lying and getting me pissed. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite one. Bravo. Yeah. David, you just made that up, didn't you? That's a real song. (laughs) You just made that whole thing up. That's a real song. (laughs) Friend of the show, Ricky Marsky and I, we used to play that song all the time. I was going to chalk that up to Ricky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, ICP, they got their ass kicked here at Hardcore Heaven 97. So next up, we have a little guy versus big guy match between Bam Bam Bigelow, the Beast from the East, and little Spike Dudley, who... They set this match up just the week before on ECW television. Spike, the little junior member of the Dudley crew, had gotten a big upset over Bam Bam, and Bam Bam wanted to kill him and get revenge. The runt of a family, as they said like five times. Yes. Um, Angelo, how does it make you feel <laughs> that... So Spike Dudley is billed at five foot seven, but every time that he's out there, they just treat him like, "Oh, look at this tiny little guy! Look at this! <laughs> look at this little boy over here! Look at him go! He's a tiny lad!" You know. Am I back at college? <laughs> and he's he's five seven. Like he's not that short. <laughs> Feels like I'm at college again. He's like a rel- like he's like probably he's like below average size, but not like ridiculously so. You know. And he's built at and he's built at one seventy. Yeah, I could. Or take no, him. I think he, he's built it less than that. He's built like maybe one fifty. Oh, I, oh, I could take him. It, I was gonna say, Angelo, in a shoot fight, could you beat Spike Dudley? <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 five foot seven and three quarters, and those three quarters of inch are a big deal. Let me tell you, and I got <laughs> about I got about sixty pounds on him, so I like my odds. Your your reach is shit, though. Oh, my reach is awful. <laughs> I do not have lanky arms. You got little alligator arms. I'm just short and squat. I'm deceptively dense. Yeah. He's a, the absolute size of this lad. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is uh, little Spike Dudley, this this little wonderful boy taking on Bam Bam Bigelow. And so this is a quick match. It's probably exactly what it needed to be. Um, Spike rushes right at him. Bam Bam just starts throwing him all over the ring. Uh, Spike gets a little comeback. He hits a bulldog out of the corner. Um, he goes up for a top of her karate, but Bam Bam catches him. He power bombs him through the freaking mat. He gorilla presses him and then throws him out of the ring three rows deep into the crowd. Spike gets up and he's bleeding. 
I don't know if he I think he bladed, but he was he he juiced deep and he is bleeding like really bad everywhere. Uh Bam Bam hits a pile driver, he hits a moonsault headbutt, gets the pin in five minutes and five seconds. Spike continues to bleed all over the ring, and before they cut away, you actually see a dude get into the ring with a mop. Just to mop up all this blood that Spike is leaking everywhere. It's rough. Yeah, I mean, this was a squash match on a pay-per-view, which for me, mileage really doesn't go far unless it's like maybe a debut for somebody. I The big thing, again, you mentioned it, just throwing the guy out into the crowd. And it's, I, I'm a sucker for that, and you see it a few times later on, too. Even if you're not throwing the guy, if you're taking a dive into the crowd, I think that's one thing that ECW did that really got over that was really cool to watch it reminded me of like early early uh corona tnt events for AEW, where they had archer throw stunt into the not the crowd but into the arms of best friends who were behind a barricade i think it's always just a cool spot even whether there's fans there whether there weren't fans there just seeing another man throw throw somebody else about 10 feet in the air is just absolutely incredible to watch. Yeah, and Spike and Spike Dudley was famous for taking those spots. I mean, he would he would like get tossed into the crowd and like like there is a famous clip of him getting thrown into the crowd. I think the ECW arena and the fans catch him and he and, crowd like, serves. Yeah, he crowd serves. <laughs> one of the coolest things to ever happen. Hey, so have you seen that clip? I uh, know. I will watch it that after was, this. That was something I was going to mention. Was that spot was or a spot from before this was Spike getting thrown into the crowd, the crowd catching him. And then just naturally crowd surfing him all the way around the arena. It was absolutely incredible. Just yeah. one of the one of the most ridiculous like crowd working together spots you've ever seen. That's like up there in my opinion of like kind of the quintessential ECW moments. And yeah, like that, yeah. Like the time where everyone threw three thousand chairs into the ring at the same time. <laughs> like, oh my god! Yeah. That's yeah. one of my favorite spots. You know. I, Something that I think is wait, David, did you, did you already finish talking about the match? Pretty much. Okay. One of the things that I think is that we don't that you don't really talk about. Spike Dudley can make anybody look good, and yeah. I and I say that as like we always talk about uh, Brett the Hitman Hart making anybody look good, or I don't know who's somebody else. Cesaro. Uh, I, think, I think yeah, Cesaro is good at it now. I think Benoit was good at it. Just making people look good, but you never hear anybody say that about like the little guy. But Spike always did a. I don't really know what it was. I guess just being ragdolled so easily, but also kind of being a good worker too. I don't know. It was really weird. I just I've never watched Spike Dudley do something and not had a good time watching it. Yeah, because he was really good at that sort of ragdoll type of selling where it's like, oh, he's dead, you know, like yeah, he flies yeah. around the ring. I mean, like, I think if you're, I mean, if you're a little guy and you're kind of your thing is that you're a little guy, you got to get good at that. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I think that Marco Stunt is pretty good at that. And I think a guy who was also low-key good at that kind of style of selling was actually Enzo. I thought he wasn't bad at it either. And, like, yeah, yeah. Sell, he was good at flying around and just like selling dead. You know what I mean? En- Enzo was good at dying in the ring, like <laughs> yeah. sometimes quite literally yes. when he would, when he would screw shit up. But <laughs> remember every when Funaki he would slam match? into the bottom rope. Yeah, every Funaki match. I feel like Funaki was another guy that always did a good job selling. Yeah, Funaki too. But like, I think that's a definite, just like a specific style of selling that. <laughs> 
<laughs> like if like again, if you're gonna be a what, like one of those little guy bump taker types, you gotta learn how to ragdoll, man. <laughs> you gotta you gotta be like Dolph Ziggler when you get speared. <laughs> yeah, you gotta learn how to like just compress all your bones, you know. Uh, but on top of that, do y'all remember whenever WWF uh, jobbed Bam Bam out to a football player? Yes, in the main <laughs> event of WrestleMania. <laughs> and yet here, I mean, he, I thought he looked good. You know, I mean, I know he was fighting Spike Dudley, but Bam Bam was cool, man. Like, he could have been really good. We, I think we said that before, but he had a great WWF look. WWF sucks, man. He had a great look. He had a unique style for a guy his size. And, uh, yeah, just you got to figure out how to book him. I never understood the Lawrence Taylor thing because they did it in, like, 1995. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure after he was retired from the NFL. Yeah, I, I thought he retired in, like, 94 or something like that, 93, 94. Yeah. It's like, you know, okay, what? So they're going to have Braun Strowman versus, like, what? Troy Palomalu? Like I don't Troy know. Troy Palomalu we, in the main event of WrestleMania? I mean, is, we, that gonna, is that going to get over? We already had Braun Strowman versus, uh, what's his name? We had Braun. Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury, yeah. And he already As lost Angelo there, too. Was, Angelo is getting uh, strangled by his father. <laughs> the task like, like, like Bart Simpson, he's getting strangled by his father. <laughs> Whenever I'm doing anything at my computer, my dad just likes messing with me. But yes, we were talking about Braun Strowman and Tyson Fury. That happened. And Tyson Fury came in looking as as egg-shaped as ever, and he went over. It was great. But that's like oh, yeah. that's something typical WWE, though, is that they would o- they'll always book their guy to lose just to catch the pop culture thing and to possibly sell the, the other guy on a future with WWE. Yeah, you don't want something. Tyson Fury in the WWE, man. That is not something I need. Yeah. He said some weird, very sus things about Jews in the past. I'm not the biggest high security. I think we've plus discussed I was always Plus, I was always rooting for Deontay Wilder in those fights. It didn't really work out for me. That oh, sucks, man. But, yeah. I was trying really hard not to no-sell that, too. You were doing a good job, but I had to bring, I had to bring <laughs> attention to it. So, uh, Bam Bam over Spike Dudley. Quick little five-minute match. We then flash back to the ICP thing. We got a part two, and this is kind of introducing a running subplot of this show. So Sabu and RVD are beating the hell out of the insane clown posse for whatever reason. Out comes ECW icon, the Sandman. The Sandman tries to come to the rescue, but Sabu and RVD team up. They kill him with chairs, and the Sandman gets taken off in an ambulance. Sandman oh, is in an ambulance, and we're not going to remember it. We're, I wonder you know, we're not going to see him. How's he, how is he going to be around to do anything in the, else in this pay-per-view, man? I don't know. I mean, he would have to, like, commandeer that ambulance mm. somehow, but then, like, I mean, you know, this is, this is before the show, so it would have to take him just a, a really, like, so long to get back to the arena that it would end up turning into a major plot hole and ha- so it's man, probably not going to happen and man how would ecw follow this i mean it's not like you can have somebody in the hospital uh in the ambulance with them maybe if they had like a helicopter or something but that Ooh, just seems yeah, 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 yeah. that just seems yeah. a little bit too far-fetched for me there's no way there's no way that ecw who couldn't even afford to pay their wrestlers could afford to buy a helicopter like let's be real guys not happening not oh happening. i love wrestling <laughs> but, you know, we'll see. We'll see if that comes back to bite anyone in the ass later on tonight. Uh, 
Our next matchup will be contested under quote-unquote Monday Night Wrestling rules, which appear to be completely indistinguishable from regular ECW rules. <laughs> uh, we have Mr. Monday Night, Rob Van Dam, who at the time was a big heel, had the great gimmick of, like, he's this great ECW wrestler, but he's, like, he knows he's too good for ECW. He's basically taunting all the fans with, like, dude, I'm totally signing with WWF. I'm totally <laughs> signing with WCW. I'm getting the hell out of here. He literally has the WWF and WCW logos on his singlet in this match. Um, Mr. Monday Night, Rob Van Dam, he is accompanied by Angelo's favorite guy, blowing the whistle all night long, Mr. Bill oh, Alfonso, God. who is literally blowing a whistle every, single, every single second he is on screen for this show. Which is actually quite a bit, because he's involved in multiple matches, so we get a lot of whistles. <laughs> I wish Bam Yay. Bam threw me into the crowd. <laughs> yeah. And they, didn't, and they didn't catch you, and you landed face first, and you just, yeah, you were just, you were just done. Hey, yep. you, know what, uh, you know what The Rock says about that nice, shiny whistle, right? Want to turn it sideways? Wants to turn that son of a bitch sideways? Yeah, that's what The Rock said. Yeah. So, <laughs> RVD is taking on Mr. Monday Night. He is facing Al Snow, who had just recently re-debuted in ECW. He had been in WWF for the previous couple of years, had a couple shitty gimmicks that didn't really go anywhere. Then, at, like just around that time, had gone back to ECW, where he would develop the head gimmick that got him super over and that he brought with him back to WWF later. But this is before that this is he's just al snow he's a dude wearing a singlet and he's here um and he's a good wrestler and this is honestly for me probably the best match of the night i thought this was a good match so we have uh, just some cool athletic moves in this match rvd in his prime was just tremendous he seems like a guy that you could have taken 1997 rvd and dropped him into like aew or pwg like like that style and that scene today completely unchanged and dropped him in there today and he would get crazy over. i'm thinking of a new japan rvd and i'm getting really excited <laughs> anywhere literally anywhere he's just one of those guys that his i feel like his style is timeless you know what i mean like he could have like yeah. he could have gotten over at any point because he's so absolutely cool. i know he had a pay-per-view with stan lane and they called him stan lane with the sweet feet all the kicks rvd is that but actually good well, you know what everyone's been talking about Stan Lane for recently. Yeah, he's got like uh, illegitimate his, child. And his, his illegitimate government. daughter is like the QAnon congresswoman, <laughs> as it found out. Like he had an affair with his cousin and created the QAnon congresswoman. Wait, 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 wait. wait, wait, is this, wait. Oh, yeah. Is this, is this confirmed? This is like. Because you, you told us that. No, 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 no. no. This is that. real. This is real. This is real. This is a real thing that happened. Legendary Midnight Express member, sweet Stan Lane. Okay. Allegedly, at least allegedly, had an affair with his cousin okay. who ended up giving birth out of that affair to QAnon Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, who owned the restaurants where the servers were required to carry loaded firearms with them. Okay. Yeah, this is I all... I have a lot of questions. I didn't make up any of these things. All of these components are true. Stan Lane, who we've had multiple times on the show with the Midnight are, Express. Are you sure this isn't a work? <laughs> this is real. This is a shoot. I am shooting right now. I am shooting like Simon Gotch on Enzo. <laughs> Enzo. Right that is 
That is a wrestling story if I have ever heard one. Yeah. All right, Al Snow and RVD, how'd this match go, David? <laughs> so this is a good match. So, <laughs> yeah, this is a good match. So uh, a lot of really good, cool athletic moves back and forth throughout this match from both of these guys. Al Snow got really over with the head gimmick, but very, very good worker in his own rights. Um, he drop kicks him out of the ring. He does a pescado to the floor. He walks all the way up the entrance ramp and does like a 40-yard dash all the way down the entrance ramp into a big clothesline. RVD does a really cool moonsault press off the guardrail. He does a flip dive over the top rope. Snow goes for a, hits a big superplex. He goes for another one, but RVD knocks him down. He does his cool jumping sidekick off the top rope. He hits a standing moonsault. He hits a frog splash, but Snow gets a big uh, kick out. Snow comes back. He hits some of RVD spots back with him. He hits a standing moonsault of his own. He hits my finishing move, the Northern Lights Bomb, for a near fall. Snow then drop kicks him off the top rope, over the outside. Snow hits this uh, somersault plancha where they both kind of awkwardly land on a table and like slide off of it slowly to the floor. <laughs> he grabs a chair, he start, a chair and he starts wailing on him. He then goes for another running clothesline down the ramp. And then RVD hits him with a chair as he comes in, hits a Van Daminator off the guardrail, and then hits a corkscrew leg drop for a two count. And then back in the ring, hits another Van Daminator off the top rope. And RVD gets the pin in 13 minutes and 43 seconds. Uh, I did not like this match as much as you did. I would even say even close to as much as you did. I thought it was kind of boring. I, I liked just, it. I, I thought like, I, I would have this. I mean, just looking at my notes, I had this as like the fourth best match, honestly. Really? Yeah. No, I just didn't care. Like, I disagree like, with that. Like, I, I like RVD and I like Al Snow, but it was like, I don't know. I guess I just kept waiting for some cool shit to happen. And, like, no cool shit really happened. And then the match ended. And Bill Alfonso wouldn't stop blowing oh my that gosh. goddamn whistle think, the entire time. I think you were just poisoned by the whistle. I just no, think that puts you in a bad mindset. Because I had a good time the second time the whistle showed up. So it wasn't just that, but it was like, like, I, I wanted to like this match because I love both of those guys. And I just watched, like, all 20. It was, like, what, 18 minutes, I think? 13. 13? 13, okay. 43. 13 minutes that felt like 20 to me because I just, oh. I, I just, I don't know. I couldn't get into it. You're so freaking jaded, dude. I think I'm in the I middle. I like of, the other matches. I think I'm in the middle here because, like, I, I didn't think it was great. It wasn't my favorite match on the card. But I also didn't think it was terrible. It was definitely, like, mid-tier. If you were to encapsulate the entire pay-per-view in one match, this is it. Because there are some cool spots, there's some good moments, there's some ECW craziness that you see. Um, but, like, you notice the crowd's not alive, and they're chanting, the The flow is completely off. The match flow itself, too, I feel like it kind of drags in some places. Um, there are some <laughs> cool moves. And then you have Bill Alfonso's whistle, who, which, when you don't have any fans to really kind of pick everything up, it's super noticeable, and it's not in a good way. Um, I like the fact that you have Styles kind of making digs at WWF's creative uh, of how like, they're using Al Snow. Um, the Snowplex wheelbarrow suplex was a really cool-looking move. That I, Again, it's not something you really see a lot nowadays, uh, but it popped out. 
Um, RVD uh, doing the drop kick off the top rope and out to the floor was really cool as well. And then Snow King out of the frog splash. I really popped for that because I was like, wow, he kicked out of the frog splash. I'm so used to seeing RVD win matches with that. So seeing Snow kick out was really cool. Um, I feel like Al Snow was the Matt Hardy of his generation, a guy who was a really good worker, really creative, and then eventually really got creative with his gimmicks. So I, I think there, there's a like, comparison there between those two guys because it's not like they were ever like top-of-the-card guys, but I feel like they were always just respected in the area. They worked really hard. They developed like a, a lot of different creative in the latter half of their career. And I think they both got really over towards the end as opposed to like where you have Matt Hardy. He has that amazing tag team run, run in the beginning. But as singles competitors, I feel like they're kind of very similar. Yeah, I mean, I... I um... I like this match. I don't know why we uh, we were, were all shitting on it so much. I, I I will agree that you know there was a there was a little bit of sloppiness to it, and I, I do think the it wasn't like it didn't flow like the most magnificent match in the history of the world or anything. But I like seeing the athleticism. I like seeing some of the cool moves and some of the cool spots. And you know, I, I it, you know you don't have that high of expectations in that sense for a match from 1997 usually. And I thought we got some, some cool aerial stuff, some cool athletic stuff. A couple of guys who went out there and, and tried to pop the crowd and do some cool moves, and they did. And I, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed watching some of the athleticism. As someone who enjoys that aspect of it a lot, I enjoyed watching some of the more athletic stuff because some of these matches, we don't really get that. I feel like I say this every time we get an RVD match, but he's just buttery smooth with everything he does. Yes, RVD is tremendous to watch. And yeah, I mean, you said uh, Snow kicking out of the frog splash. I, I don't think that RVD at that point, the frog splash was really his finisher yet. It was still um, the Van Daminator. Yeah, it was still the Van Daminator. Because, and I think he kind of transitioned to it being the five-star frog splash once he like went to WWF. Because like the Van Daminator requires using a chair, and you can't, you know, chairs are illegal now. So <laughs> no, no unprotected chair shots, man. No, we're, we're not doing unprotected chair shots anymore. So I feel like that's when he sort of made the frog splash his like finisher. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I just I, don't, I just wasn't sold on it. I don't know. I didn't think it was bad by any means. It just wasn't my favorite match on the card. I would say for me, this was probably my sec my number two match. I okay. think I think number two. I uh, I okay. I will say this: the reasons I liked the other matches are bad reasons, I guess. Okay. But we'll talk about it. The we'll Lawler Dreamer match, man. I've got thoughts on that one. Dude, I, we're going to probably dedicate a half hour to that match alone. <laughs> I'm going to be roasted real hard. At least. So, next up, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a helicopter chase. <laughs> what? Not me? A helicopter? Well, uh, the Sandman has gotten into a white Ford Bronco and he is driving very slowly down the L.A. freeway, baby. Uh, so there is a guy, some guy named Lance who is in what they are calling the Extreme Chopper. <laughs> so our buddy Lance is uh, he is in the Extreme Chopper and he is very slowly following the Sandman who has apparently stolen the ambulance that took him away from the War Memorial Auditorium. And he is trying to find his way back to the arena, presumably to beat the shit out of Sabu and RVD. But he is just like basically driving around in circles all around South Florida because he has no idea where he's going and he has no idea where the arena is. 
So we get like three more segments of Lance and the Extreme Chopper. And I mean, this guy Lance sucks. <laughs> this guy sucks. He just has no idea how to talk on camera. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's it is truly, truly outrageous. It is incredibly fun to watch. Uh, but so so keep an eye out for the Extreme Chopper. We're going to be revisiting this. So next up, you know, Jerry the King Lawler's wrestling tonight. We got a great Jerry Lawler promo, uh, promo where he's burying ECW and he's talking about how Bret Hart, Undertaker, and Stone Cold Steve Austin, they all personally came to him and told him that they want him to beat Tommy Dreamer <laughs> and bury ECW using all of their finishing moves in their honor. I actually thought this was a fine promo, and yeah. I got really pissed off when he uses it again right before his match, yeah, which is just yeah. like, come on, man. Like, I, like this is so good. I was going to give Jerry credit, and then he just recycles the promo right before his match. I'm just like, boo. Yeah, he literally will cut the exact same promo later, but who cares? Uh, but so next up, that is uh, two matches away. This next match is for the ECW Tag Team Championships. It is the champs, the Dudley boys. Bubba Ray and Devon Dudley, the classic combo. They are taking on the USWA champs, the team of PG-13, Jamie Dundee and Wolfie D. Basically just like the kind of white gangster gimmick. Sort of a proto version of Too Cool a little bit, except not nearly as charismatic and not as good at dancing. Um, but you have the whole, this is ECW. This is back when the Dudleys weren't just a tag team. They were a whole stable. There was like 38 <laughs> of these guys. We've got the whole gang. We've got sign guy Dudley. We've got big sign dick. guy Dudley. We've got big dick Dudley, who is a, I mean, really big guy. We've got, of course, on the mic, the quintessential stud muffin, Joel Gertner, doing his whole intro, doing his shtick. And they have famous porn star Jenna Jameson with them in the ring. For some reason, she doesn't really do anything, but she's uh, She does one thing because the crowd asked for it in yes. the middle of this match. Fair. But so, <laughs> Joel Gertner is doing his whole shtick. You know, I, I said this earlier to you guys. I've always found Joel Gertner to be genuinely funny, but like in a... I, I feel nervous saying that I find him funny because it will get me canceled that I find him funny. And it, and, and it would get you appropriately canceled yes, because I like, will be I am I will I am going to deservedly get canceled for saying <laughs> I find them funny. I was I was about to say before you started I was like David you need to be very careful of anything you say for the next like ten minutes because I take there... <laughs> I take full responsibility for my actions <laughs> and my choices and everything that I'm saying right now I understand that. You know, it, it may not be okay, but I, <laughs> but, I've always, but, I've always gotten a kick out of his, his whole deal. Now, in David's defense, now is that this is there not something to be said? Like, there's a line in comedy versus like what's actually allowed to be called comedy and what's actually offensive. I mean, I feel like Joel is definitely pushing the limits of that. But a lot of comedy <laughs> is because like the idea of comedy is to make people uncomfortable. And let me tell you. Joel Gertner makes my skin crawl. <laughs> yeah. he, he, makes he, he makes me uncomfortable. So you know yes, what? He does. If David finds him funny, so be it for me. He's not my cup of tea, and he, <laughs> I find him creepy. I will say this for him, though. For a guy, he's he's like only in his 40s now, so he's like in his early 20s when he's doing this shtick. I'll say for someone in his early 20s, 
he gets it to a T. I'll give him that. He's good at <laughs> what he's trying to do. Yes, he's very. He was always very good at the just like very uncomfortable sexual wordplay. Fantastic. Well, yeah. Sometimes he didn't even do wordplay. He, when he was describing Big Dick Dudley, <laughs> yeah. he was not using he called any him, words. He called him phallic and metallic, <laughs> <laughs> which I laughed at that. I got he a said, party laugh. Wait, hold on, hold on. Did I misunderstand something, or did he not say that he had a fourteen-incher? Yes, yeah, he did. He okay. said he was like, and he, that- said like he was like. The man with the 26-inch arms and the 14-inch cut wrist. wrist. Hey, he was called Big Dick Dudley for a reason. Oh, man. But then, so, Gardner does the whole thing. And then we get Jamie Dundee from PG-13. He gets on the mic, and he actually cuts a really good promo talking shit about the Dudleys. He calls... Mama Dudley, a hoe, which gets, you know, the Dudleys were always great at like when people talk shit to them, reacting like they were so offended that they were <laughs> gonna, like they were going to faint and like pass out. Um, and he like rips the shit out of everyone. He hits on Jenna Jameson. Uh, best line of the night came from Jamie Dundee. He's talking shit on all the Dudleys and he said, he goes to Bubba and he says, You're so fat. If I told you to haul ass, you'd have to make two trips, fat boy. <laughs> incredible. I love Absolutely that. I incredible. That. I have that one written down. So if you didn't mention it, I was going to. Yeah. I, I, I actually was like nodding to myself like, all right, Jamie Dundee, let's go, dude. That's good shit. <laughs> you'd have to make two trips. That's gold. Yeah. Um, but so we get it. We, we, we do this match. Um, we get. A thing that in 1997 was like would get you a big baby face pop, but not now. Uh, Jamie Dundee sliding out of the ring at the beginning of this match and forcibly kissing Jenna Jameson. Got like, you know, not okay. But back in 1997, that shit got like a huge baby face pop. Like all the time. It always crazy. did. Which, you know, it doesn't age well, but, you know, the crowd goes crazy for that. Um, it's Florida. Yeah. Um, the Dudleys get the heat on Wolfie D for a long time, and then they beat up uh, Dundee for a long time. Uh, we get Big Dick. He gets in the ring. He gets double choke slams on both guys. Um, Devon comes off the middle rope with a leg drop, but then uh, they get uh, PG-13 gets a comeback. He kicks uh, – Jamie Dundee kicks Bubba in the balls. He hits Devon with a DDT. gets the hot tag to his partner, Wolfie D. Wolfie D hits a sit-out powerbomb on Devon, but Bubba breaks it up. He then hits a uh, top rope bulldog on Bubba. Dundee tries to do a suicide dive to the outside, but Devon catches him. Wolfie then dives off the top rope onto both of them. He gets back in the ring, but then the Dudleys end up pretty shortly afterward hitting the 3D, the Dudley death drop, as they still called it back then. The 3D, the greatest tag finisher in the history of wrestling. And the Dudleys get the pin. Ten, fin- 10 minutes and 58 seconds, and they retain the ECW titles. The Dudleys are absolutely the absolute, like, they, you just put them out there for 10, 15, 20 minutes, and you're going to be entertained. Like, I don't think they ever would have a bad segment that you put them in. Now, this match, again, suffers from the same thing as RVD and the rest of the card. It does, I feel like it drags in spots. Uh, but I feel like this is one of the few matches where the crowd is actually really invested. Um, you have that Bubba Ray, uh, Bubba Ray's mom's a hoe chant going on. <laughs> um, the cr- crowd's pop, uh, popping for that. I, I thought the arm switch where you see, 
uh, Bubba Ray bring over one of the members of PG-13 and Devon behind the ref's back is like doing the arm spot over his shoulder. And then it gets reversed on Bubba Ray and Bubba, uh, Devon is doing the arm spot to Bubba Ray. I-, I thought that was really funny. And then the reactions afterwards, you know, always entertaining. It's like they're cartoon characters, honestly. It's really cheesy. It's really hammy, but it's very funny. And then you have, I think that you have the PG-13 hit a suicide spot in this match too. Very exciting. This was, again, I think this was probably my second favorite match on the card. Uh, but it just kind of, it, it, it's lacking something. And I think this is like, again, where I draw a line with this card entirely. It's just like, I don't know. It feels like I'm missing a gear here. If, if Angelo had been born in 1981, he would have been sitting here in 1997 saying that this was the funniest and coolest shit he had ever seen in his life. <laughs> I, I just imagine a 16-year-old Angelo in 1997 eating this shit up. Eating up the, just the whole Dudley gimmick, the promos, and everything. And I say that because my notes say, this is what nerds watched in the 90s to feel cool. Yeah, it's true. It's really true. And that's what we would have watched in the 90s to, <laughs> to feel cool. Yeah, we would have watched it and been like, man, those nerds at WWF would never do anything with cool like <laughs> those, this. Those marks. This is, we, we'd, be the kind, we'd be the ones who were like, we think that this is actually the real wrestling. Like, this is real. <laughs> like, the WWF shit's fake, but ECW is real. That's they actually, real. Yeah. They actually hit each other with chairs and stuff. That's yeah, real. how are you going to fake a chair spot to the head? Come on now. Come on, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> well, to be fair, uh, you don't. So. <laughs> yep. Nobody ever faked one of those. <laughs> Angel, I've been re- I've been reacting constantly to uh we're we are recording this like right after uh, Dynamite. Uh, Speaking of extreme championship explode, wrestling, exploding barbed, barbed wire, wire death match. Well, is this fucking FMW now? What are, we, oh, are we getting? At, are we getting a Sushi Onita out of retirement for the eighth time for this match? Holy shit, bro! Dude, if Onita shows up in the middle of this match, I will ascend to an uh, to a higher plane of. They've existence. got. They have got to get him from Japan to America. They got to make this happen. Even if there's just just a shot in the crowd. And it's just Onita, like, a thumbs up. And that's yeah. it. That's the just, only shot. Of- <laughs> Onita is just sitting there smoking a cigarette and he gives a thumbs up. And that's it. Wasn't yeah. he the one? Isn't this that, that match uh, where a guy, like, takes a Jeep to the ring or something? Yeah, I, I think I posted that. It's just the it's just, yes. the, entr- it's just the entrances to the Onita Chono exploding barbed wire death match in the Tokyo Dome in, like, 98. Ronita does this entrance where he's like walking out and he's being all cool and people are throwing shit at him. And then like it takes forever. And then Chono just shows up and he drives a massive Humvee to the ring. <laughs> it's like the coolest fucking thing that's ever happened. Uh yeah, it's pretty cool. So anyway. Uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Complete uh tangents. Uh Lance is back up in the chopper and he sucks at his job. <laughs> I mean, he's he's just not doing well. He's really confused. Um, we now have our next match. The lights go out. And when they come back on, Jerry the King Lawler's in the ring. And he is cutting a promo again. We're, we're, at the time, we've got uh, some Forbidden Door collaboration between WWF and ECW. Kind of teamed up. You know, WWF was desperately trying to find anything it could to jumpstart business. 
at this time they were getting their ass beat by WCW all up and down the Monday Night Wars. And so they tried to kind of hitch their wagon with ECW a little bit. They did some stuff together around this time, including Jerry the King Lawler showing up in ECW as the biggest shit-eating heel of all time. And he's out here cutting this promo. He cuts a promo shitting on ECW. It's basically the same promo as he did before. Um, He's promoting the WWF uh, pay-per-view for later that month. And he is going to be taking on Tommy Dreamer, the hardcore icon, the innovator of violence. Um, he walks out, Tommy, obviously he's Mr. ECW. He comes out with his, uh, valet, now his wife, Beulah. Um, I will say this, I, I try to be tasteful on the show and I try not to comment about people's appearances, but I will say this, you know how, uh, in Letterkenny, the way they all say Bonnie McMurray, (laughs) whenever I see Beulah, I go Beulah McGillicuddy. She's looking great. She's looking great. So this match is an absolute overbooked mess. It's a disaster, pretty much. It's it's incredible. Um, it's one of the most overbooked matches I've ever seen in my entire life. So this is really just like a you know classic kind of hardcore style brawl up and down the arena. They fight in the crowd, hit each other with all kinds of stuff. Tommy's hitting them with beers. He at one point grabs a hamburger from somebody and rubs it in Jerry Lawler's face and they get back ringside and they're doing chairs, they're doing garbage cans, and they're doing all this stuff. Um, eventually Lawler takes the advantage, is beating him down with a chair, hits the pile driver, he rips Tommy's ECW shirt off and he wipes his pits and wipes his ass with it. You know, just typical heel stuff. Um, eventually... Tommy is getting hit in the nuts a bunch of times. Um, and he kicks out. Jerry Lawler ends up DDTing the referee. And then the lights go out. And all of a sudden appears ravishing Rick Rude, making his return for the first time since earlier in the show. He grabs a garbage can and kills Tommy with it. And then uh, Lawler tries to pin Tommy Dreamer after the interference from Rick Rude. And Tommy kicks out. And so Tommy comes back and he sets up Lawler for a pile driver, but the lights go out again. And now another guy appears. It's Jake the Snake Roberts, who gets a really big uh, reaction from the crowd. Everyone loves Jake the Snake. Jake the Snake uh, kills Tommy Dreamer with a big clothesline. He hits the DDT. And then he then clotheslines Jerry the King Lawler and he leaves. Um, Jerry the King Lawler drags himself over to Tommy. He drapes an arm over him for the pin, but Tommy kicks out. They fight a little bit more. Tommy gets Lawler in position for a DDT. The lights go out for a third time. And we have another run in. This time, it's Sonny, who is better known as Chris Candido's valet in uh, WWF for a long time. Um, She's here. She sprays hairspray in Tommy Dreamer's eyes. And then we get a fight between her and Beulah. In all the confusion, Beulah and Tommy Dreamer both hit Jerry the King Lawler in the nuts at the same time. Dreamer hits him with a DDT, and he gets the pin. And Tommy Dreamer successfully defends the honor of Extreme Championship Wrestling in 18 minutes and 57 seconds. Okay. One lights out spot is fine. It's good. It, or it can be good, right? Two yeah. lights out spots 
sucks because you just reuse the same trope. Three is objectively hilarious. I laughed yeah. at the third one. I was like, like I, I don't know what makes it that third one that's just like, oh, that's what they're doing. I think it's like, oh, I can't believe they're doing this a third time. Yeah, absolutely. And like, and I think like every time after that, it would get funnier to me. Like, if it's like the seventh lights go out spot, <laughs> and it's just like, who is it this time? Like, I don't even, I don't even know. Like, it's Hulk Hogan this time. I don't, I don't know who it, who it would be. I, I I completely agree with you. I think there's like a horseshoe thing with it where it like starts to become really funny. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure three is quite enough time. Yeah, that, that might be true. Yeah. But there but there is a point where it does become funny. And I think because the the third time it was Sonny that showed up, I don't know. That just kind of made it funny to me. I, I know that like Rick Rude and Jake the Snake were serious, but I don't know. I, I thought I got a kick out of that. Guys, I low-key really like this match. Thank God. I This is my favorite match on the card. I low-key had a great time watching this because, A, I love Tommy Dreamer. B, uh, Jerry the King Lawler. People forget how good of a worker he could be. And they weren't asking either one of them to do anything they couldn't do because they have that extreme, you know, hardcore match thing going on. So I liked it. I, I thought it was a good match. I, I did too. I do, I do understand David saying that's overbooked. And I think the, with those light out spots and the fact that you have two guys in there who are very well past their primes, they can't really do any kind of spots to begin with. Like Jake the Snake's uh, clothesline is not really great. But like I think in terms of like a story of for the match, like there, I think the story is great. You have Jerry Lawler, the guy from WWF, who's here to shit talk ECW. He gets a reaction from the crowd, which was hard to do for this again. This pay-per-view, the crowd noise is at a minimum. But with Jerry Lawler out there, I mean, these are all a bunch of cynical marks like we are. So they're going to be booing the hell out of Jerry Lawler because it's fun to be toxic about something. And then you have Dreamer as like the knight in shining, shining armor. Uh, you have Jerry just kind of talking crap about ECW. He's talking the entire match, just like doing a lot of digs at Dreamer, doing digs at the fans, reacting to them. And I think that like really helps make this match move along and be entertaining is because you have Jerry playing this complete, perfect shit eating heel. He's, and he's doing the kit. Like we could say like the WWE King gimmick is not the perfect thing, but Jerry really does master it to a T. I feel like he, again, it's no wonder why he ran, used that gimmick and ran with it. He's fantastic with it. He always has that. I'm better than you feel, even though he's kind of not a top of the card guy, but he's a fantastic worker. Um, Dreamer kind of hulking out in the match kind of helps sell him as a big deal. And like, again, one of ECW's finest guys, um, Rick Rude and Jake the Snake again. This is where I say, oh, is this the forbidden door? Because it's just really cool to have these guys go back and forth. I think that's what wrestling is at its best is when you can have surprise run-ins from other companies. It's what makes what's going on right now with AEW, New Japan, and Impact so interesting. It's because like you never know what's going to happen the next week. Whereas with like WWE and uh, with Raw and SmackDown, you could say that they're separate brands all you want. We kind of know that these are the people that are going to show up on the show and it's not really a surprise. The surprise is what makes it very fun. And I feel like just with how this match goes and what Dreamer overcomes, like this really put elevates him up another level, like in terms of like storytelling. Because this is a guy who defended ECW's honor, uh, survived countless run-ins, and I think that really makes him look really great. I know he's already the guy that's ingrained to ECW. But having him go over like this just really makes him feel 
almost John Cena like because he's just overcoming the odds in such a preposterous fashion. Yeah, this match really positions Tommy, who already was a big star and very beloved babyface in ECW, as like he is Mister ECW. He will defend us against the uh, <laughs> the posers and nerds from WWF who are coming over and trying to steal our shit and become cool off of us. You know, and credit Jerry um, for doing the job here. Like, just again. I feel like this is a time where you have a bunch of guys looking out for themselves. And again, you look at the top of the WWE WWF card with diesel. Like he's a guy that really did the job for anybody in any particular fashion. So having a guy like Lawler, who's willing to take a pin here, I feel like that's, a th- again, it just makes everything better. Cause yeah. instead, instead WWF could have sent some other jabroni over who wouldn't, who wouldn't have been at biggest name value, who wasn't as good on the mic. But instead, you get Jerry, and Jerry does the job, and I feel like that just, again, makes everything feel more important. It felt like a very important match. Yeah, I'm willing to largely look like a complete jamoke the whole match, too. He yes. gets his ass kicked basically the entire time, except when he has, like, just random people running in to help him. He was he was bleeding from the start from the opening bell. Yes, he blades immediately. That's, that's true. <laughs> I did forget to mention that. He's bleeding a minute into the match. But... <laughs> I'm, like, really interested. I, I can't stop thinking about this, like, this concept that Jake presented where it's, like, at what point does it horseshoe around and do all the lights out run-ins, like, become really funny? Because, like, I'm, think... now, I'm now picturing them doing it, like, like, okay, so you went from, like, Rick Rude, legitimate star, right? Right. Jake the Snake Roberts, legitimate star, big name, fans, big pop. The third one is Sonny. So, like, there's diminishing returns here. But I'm thinking, I'm, like, picturing them, like, they keep doing it over and over again, but with like less and less important people. Like the lights go out for a seventh time, and it's the Brooklyn Brawler. You know, <laughs> like, it's repo. It's repo, man. Yeah. The lights go out for the ninth time, and uh, Duke the Dumpster Drozzy shows up. I can't. I, I'm just like really picturing this, and I love this idea. Um, and I, I, I would like to, if I'm booking a promotion, I'm going to do something like this. I mean, this, so, is, yeah. this is where this is where the podcast leads us. We we found our own uh, promotion. Yes, I'm gonna, we're going to start our own indie promotion in which I, like Jerry the King Lawler did in Memphis, I become like 27 time champion. <laughs> I dominate this with an iron fist. We're going to call it uh, WFM. Yeah, wrestling for marks. Yes, that'd be great. We, that's a, that's, there are worse names. Dude, we gotta, we gotta get one of those like Mania weekend shows. Oh my gosh, yes! We're and it can just be in my here. backyard every time. Yeah, we're 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 gonna get over. We're gonna book like, we're gonna book we're gonna book Orange Cassidy. It's gonna be awesome. We're gonna book Stang. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're gonna book all the knockoffs from like Talking Shop of Mania. We're gonna book Stang. We're gonna do it. Oh we're shit! Gonna, it's we're Stang. Gonna, we're gonna book Mark Jindrak and advertise him as being from Evolution. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna do that. So we finish. Joel Gurner will be our color guy. Oh, I would, I would totally get Joel Gurner. We're bringing Joel Gurner in, a hundred percent. So. We are now coming to a head with the whole Sandman sock. The uh, the chopper guy is back, and he reports that the Sandman has finally somehow managed to maneuver his way back through the dimly lit streets of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He has made it back to the War Memorial. And we then cut to the Sandman just going apeshit 
uh, hitting who appear to be just completely random people uh, with a kendo stick in just this dimly lit parking lot for like five seconds. But the Sandman is here and he's beating people up. So we go to the main events and our main event is a three-way dance for the ECW title. Of course, three-way dance, one of the signature match types of ECW, a three-man elimination match. So it is Sabu defending the ECW title against the franchise Shane Douglas and the hardcore legend, 53-year-old <laughs> and still kicking ass, Terry Funk. But looked every day of 53. <laughs> but still looked like a freaking badass. I mean, I, I'm never going to say anything bad about Terry Funk. I love the guy. In a, in a like, scary grandpa way, yeah. Yeah, he's awesome. Terry Funk looks like the guy that sit, uh, sits out on the porch in his rocking chair and has a shotgun not two feet away from him. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure Terry Funk probably brought a shotgun in his carry-on bag to every single arena he ever went to. Uh, <laughs> like In, like, 70 years of wrestling. Um, he's still so, wrestling, I think. Yeah, I think he. I, I I think he's possibly retired now. <laughs> possibly, maybe. So it is time for the main event. So Terry Funk comes out. He gets a really big pop. Big chance of Terry from the crowd. Uh, Shane Douglas comes out with quote his head cheerleader Francine, who Joey Styles so tastefully and tactfully calls a quote gold digging bimbo. <laughs> and Sabu, the champion, comes out with our good friend Bill Alfonso, and he's blowing the whistle. Shocker. So, yeah, we got two heels and one babyface in this match. And, you know, Terry Funk is... Remember, Terry Funk is Terry Funk's real name. Sabu's real name is Terry Brunk. So we have a Terry Funk and a Terry Brunk in this match. And early on, Terry Brunk and Shane Douglas, as the two heels, they're beating up the one babyface, Terry Funk. They double-team him for a while. Sabu does a bunch of his flying moves. And then as Sabu is trying to pin Terry Funk, uh, Shane Douglas, for some reason, breaks up the pin and hits him with a chair and just starts beating him down. I don't know why you would do that in an elimination match. I don't see what your incentive is to break up a pin. Uh, just thinking about it because we just had Mark Henry do that at Elimination Chamber a few weeks ago, and uh, I was—I I don't understand the psychology behind it. But uh, yeah, Shane Douglas starts hitting everyone with chairs, and we get a bunch of Sabu's cool flying moves. He does a springboard plancha to the outside where he you know he flies over the guardrail. He does a springboard crossbody back into the ring on Terry Funk. He hits an acai moonsault. Uh, Terry Funk and Shane Douglas end up hitting an assisted neckbreaker on Sabu onto two chairs they had set up in the ring. Um, yeah, a lot of big, this is like a bunch of spots in this match, uh, which you kind of expect from Sabu. Uh, Douglas ends up bringing a guardrail into the ring, and then Terry Funk and Terry Brunk team up, and they just take turns throwing Douglas into the guardrail. Then Sabu leg drops the guardrail into both of the other two guys. They do this sort of like, you guys, that, that weird like double sleeper hold spot. Oh, I, they just like, rotate through? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, I, I saw that and I was like, 
that's a spot you don't really see very often in triple threat matches, probably because it looks really stupid. Well, yeah, it, was a, it was a callback to another three-way dance they had had, I think, in 1994. I think they cited that before the match, too. Yeah, they had the one at the the night the line was crossed, which I believe you can also watch on the WWE. Now. <laughs> Wait, what? I know that because they specifically named it in the intro video to this match. Okay. What I was it called? I don't just know the names of these shows off the top of my head. <laughs> David, here's the thing. Sometimes you know shit off the top of your head, and it amazes me. So, like, I'm not that shocked if you would have known that off the top of your head. This one I can't take credit for knowing. I have to thank the good <laughs> the good brothers at the ECW uh, production truck in 1990. Fair enough, fair enough. Out on this one. <laughs> but, yeah, they do this dumb-looking double sleeper hold spot. Sabu hits that triple jump moonsault, but uh, Shane Douglas kicks out. He then goes for another one on Terry Funk, but the chair breaks when he steps on it. So he just does a normal like lion salt onto him. He then does a triple jump moonsault onto both guys. He tries to pin both of them at the same time, but they kick out. Eventually, Sabu and Bill Alfonso, they team up and they try to set Terry Funk up on a table. But then the commissioner, Todd Gordon, runs out, and he starts beating up Bill Alfonso. He pulls Terry Funk off the table. Terry Funk then sets up the table, so Sabu ends up doing a leg drop onto both Todd Gordon and his own manager, Bill Alfonso, and puts them both through the table. Uh, Sabu then goes up to the top rope. He has a ladder with him. He's going to do something. But then the Sandman, finally, after two hours riding around in the stolen ambulance all around South Florida, he's finally arrived ringside. He shows up. He beats the hell out of Sabu. He hits his uh, rolling rock, which was uh, his slingshot senton, onto the ladder, onto Sabu. And then the other two guys both pin Sabu, and they eliminate him. So he is out of the match. We will have a new champion, Terry Funk or the franchise Shane Douglas. We then have this huge brawl at ringside where the police and security, they show up to drag Sandman off. And then Sabu, as his last act in this match, he does this huge slingshot dive out of the ring onto everybody. That gets the big ECW chant from the whole crowd. So we then get about six, seven minutes of uh, Shane Douglas versus Terry Funk. And they just freaking brawl for like six minutes. Uh, Terry Funk is bleeding. Douglas hits his belly-to-belly suplex, which they sell like, oh, no one has ever kicked out of the Shane Douglas belly-to-belly suplex, which I don't know. Maybe at that time it was true. I I can't speak to whether or not that's actually a real thing. But Funk kicks out of that. By this point, the whole locker room has come out at ringside to watch these two guys beat the shit out of each other. Um... Francine gets into the ring and she starts beating up Terry Funk and slapping him. Out comes our last like surprise appearance guy of the night. It is Terry Funk's brother, legendary former NWA world champion, Dory Funk Jr., who comes into the match. He gets a decent reaction. I think a, a few, a, a decent number of people in the crowd knew who he was. He comes in, he opens up a Texas style can of whoop ass on Shane Douglas. He beats him up. He chases Francine off to the back. We get another couple minutes of Funk and Douglas. At one point, they both kind of very awkwardly go off the apron and through a table. They get back in the ring. Shane Douglas hits 
two more belly-to-belly suplexes on Terry Funk that Terry Funk kicks out of. He goes for a third. Terry Funk turns it into an inside cradle for a great near fall. And then Shane Douglas finally hits a fourth belly-to-belly suplex. And he gets the pin to win the title. In 26 minutes, 37 seconds, the new ECW world champion is the franchise. Shane Douglas. But I don't know if you guys want to talk about the match now. We can talk about all the stuff that happened. Yeah, finish it up. Go ahead and keep talking. Because this match ends. But there's still like 15 minutes left in the show. (laughs) This confused me. Yeah, you're like, okay, why is there still 15 minutes left in the show? How did they fill this time? Here's what happens. Afterwards, the Dudleys come out, the whole gang. Joel Gertner's there, everybody. Joel Gertner comes out and the Dudley boys to congratulate the new champion, Shane Douglas. Joel Gertner says, hey, man, you know, remember back in the day before I got linked up with the Dudleys, I used to be your personal ring announcer. We're boys. I think you should dump your group, Triple Threat, which at the time was Douglas, Bam Bam, and Chris Candido. And if I remember correctly, they would later replace Bam Bam with, I think, Just Incredible later on. (laughs) Nice. Wow, that's a downgrade. yeah, Just Incredible was pretty good. Don't talk shit. Uh, no, he's good, but he's no Bam Bam. Not an anti. Ju- we're not taking an anti Just Incredible stance here. This is a pro Just Incredible <laughs> podcast. But he says you should ditch the zeros and get with the heroes. Join the Dudleys. We have the tag belts. We could be the Triple Crown instead of Triple Threat. Meanwhile, this all is, this is going on while everyone in the ring is just continuing to beat the shit out of Terry Funk for no reason. <laughs> Finally, Bam Bam and Candido come out. They're all offended, as they would be. This is basically tampering. Uh, You could get fined for this in the NBA. Silly, David. There's no such thing as tampering. They all start brawling with each other. All the jamokes from the locker room get in, and there's this huge, shitty brawl. Like, everyone just starts fighting with each other. The entire roster gets involved. Balls Mahoney and Axel Rotten run in. They start hitting everybody with chairs. And then... Uh, the gangsters theme music hits. Huge reaction for New Jack, who comes in with John Cronus from the Eliminators tag team. They show up. They bring a ton of weapons. They beat the shit out of everyone. They clean house. The crowd actually gets really, really hot for like the arrival of New Jack and this big finishing brawl. Perry Saturn. We're all big Perry Saturn guys. He's in the ring. He, he gets a lot of time to shine, too. He gets this big diving elbow on Bubba Ray Dudley. And then everybody forms up like Voltron to kill Joel Gertner at once. And then, at the very end, John Cronus, who was a pretty big guy, 6'4", 250, I think he was billed at, he destroys Joel Gertner with this awesome 450 splash. And the crowd goes crazy, and nothing is resolved, and that's the end of the show. That's he, hardcore heaven '97. That was that was a finish. That's for sure. That's ECW, baby. Yeah, uh, I, I I thought the match was um, what's the word I'm going to use? I'm going to call it mediocre. Fine, but I love Sabu. I always thought Sabu's. I think Sabu's look is one of my favorites ever. I just think that the pants. With the white shoes every time made it look so good. And I also really liked that this felt like a, a, a legit three-man match. 
somebody didn't get put through a table immediately while the other two fight, and then one of them is put out of commission, and somebody comes back into the fight. Like, at one point, Shane Douglas, like David said, just kind of watched it, watched it for a little bit, and then he went and got involved. Um, yeah, I thought it was ridiculous, but it was low-key entertaining. I it, it's okay if I was grading it probably like six out of ten seven six point five out of ten. I think it gets really messy sometimes. I do appreciate the fact that they have all three people involved pretty much consistently throughout the entire match. Uh, but for me, like Sabu is someone that I like look that looked really cool when I was younger. The more matches I see with him, the less return on investment I'm getting from him because it's always like the same things. It's always like. Every Sabu match is the same. It's, and you could say maybe the same thing with Cena, but I feel like with Cena, you always have that charisma that Sabu kind of lacks. Because uh, it's always like the chair spots where he's jumping off the chair onto the rope and then doing like some kind of either a leg drop or a moonsault or he's diving into the crowd. And those things are fine, but it's it, it's the same thing. It, it just never felt, it never feels like he div- diversified his portfolio, if you will. It's I'm always. Now- I'm now thinking about how we did have a John Cena versus Sabu match. I think you're like comparing them. Yes. We had a John Cena versus Sabu match on this show. Yes, we did. Yes. We yeah. had, it was uh, not the SummerSlam one. It was. It was Vengeance 2006. There it is. Um, but I, I applaud Terry Funk for coming out and working this style of match, even though he's at 53 years old. I feel like that also kind of hurts the match a little bit. It's hard to have a mat, your main event built around a guy who's in his 50s and working a hardcore style in a 26-minute match. And now he does a great job. He doesn't necessarily need to get a lot of offense in to like get that babyface energy. And that works great for him because a lot of his best spots come from either assisting one of the other guys to beat up the other heel. Um, or he's just kind of like doing a little quick like roll-up or something like at the end of the match. The belly-to-belly finisher, I never really like. I think it's not a very impactful-looking move. Um, so seeing that be the finish of the match is kind of, like, lackluster for me. Um, but overall, like, this match feels like... If you're watching this match, it's like watching a simulated match on SmackDown versus Raw. It's just, like, you have three guys in the match. It's a hardcore rules. And it's just, like, it jumps all over the place. And you have the guys involved consistently... I don't know. It, it's not bad. It's not horrible. It's not boring. Um, but the fact that it's overshadowed by the nonsense at the end, I feel like it's condemning. I feel like you're not letting, you have to let your main event breathe a little bit. You have to be like, okay, yeah, this is what happened. Now, if they had stopped at the, uh, like the Dudley, the Dudley's trying to recruit Shane Douglas, that's fine. Because, like, it's always great to have that after main event pay per view angle that sets up the next arc. But when it's that, then all-out brawl, it's like, okay, who cares? <laughs> and, of course, the crowd get, eats, up, eats it up because, again, this is a bad crowd. Like, if you were in attendance at this Fort, uh, Fort Lauderdale uh, for ECW Hardcore Heaven 97, you were a part of a bad crowd. Please please reach out to us so we can speak to you. We have questions And a dis- disclaimer, we appreciate all of our listeners. <laughs> Even if they were in the crowd for Hardcore Heaven 1997, I'm sure you were one of the guys in the crowd – who was who was cheering and the, you you were one of the good ones. You know what? You know what? I'm going to say it. I don't. If you were in the crowd for uh, Hardcore Heaven 1997, reach out to me so that I can tell you how bad you were. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
I treasure all of our <laughs> listeners. I, I want to hold them all in my arms and I want to hug them and kiss them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, David, how many states do you think uh, uh, Terry Funk has bled in? I would say, I, I think he might have hit all 50, to be honest with you. <laughs> I think, you think, you think he made it to Hawaii? I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. Hawaii had a pretty good territory back he, in the day. He might have he might have bled in Hawaii before it was even a state. Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get I'm research on that. Searches. I'm gonna do some searches. <laughs> uh, he has at least one event, uh, one match listed on the Cage Mass database in Hawaii in 1972. So oh, you he, know he bled in that one. Probably did. Probably did. Who was it uh, with? Somebody, somebody named Johnny Barrand that I've never heard of. Never heard what of about Alaska. Is there anything for Alaska? Ooh, that's yeah. yeah. Uh, or no, actually, no. He wrestled no. a guy named the Alaskan. <laughs> hey, that, that counts. That's in, good enough. In 1966, in St. Louis. <laughs> Damn, he, wait, he was wrestling in 1966. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Oh my uh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Very fun stories for you. Terry Funk debuted in 1965, so that was a baby Terry Funk. So he was wrestling the. He started wrestling the year my dad was born. Holy crap! Yeah, he wrestled in like what, like six different decades, seven decades, something like that. That's insane. Yeah, but yeah, kudos to you, Terry Funk. He, uh, I don't know if he's bled in Alaska, but he's bled in almost every other. He state. bled on Alaska. He bled on an Alaskan. He bled Good on an Alaskan. His point. blood but, ended up in Alaska. Yeah, his his blood has touched every corner of this globe. Perfect. But just what I, I needed to know. You know, I, I know Angelo said he wasn't as much into Terry Funk, but for me, that's what I was the most into. I just love the like, old, like middle aged and crazy early fifties. This hardcore badass Terry Funk that we got in ECW. It's my favorite work of his career as just this badass old dude who showed up looking like your drunk uncle and just bled everywhere and beat the shit out of everybody and was just like, it was just so cool. And I feel like he was the guy the crowd was by far the most <laughs> into. And if they were into anything in this match, it was. You know, like these Terry Funk near falls. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like he's about to win. Like the crowd, if they wanted anything, they wanted Terry Funk to win. Look, I feel like I would have enjoyed it more if it had been a one-on-one match. Uh, Because, again, you have that triple threat rules and he gets beat down real early. Like he's going through the ringer for that first five, ten minutes. I feel like by the end of there, like he's not really doing a lot of offense, which you don't really need him to as the baby face in this match. He's mostly there to just sell. And he just looked like a badass while selling, which he does. Uh, but overall, as uh, entertainment, th- for this match, not really in my wheelhouse. That's fine. I am not going to say it was a great match, but I was I was into it because I'm into every Terry Funk thing <laughs> ever. Which is acceptable. This is Terry Funk, dude. I, I don't know mm-hmm. how you can argue with Terry Funk. I'm with you. Jake, do you think he ever bled in Wyoming? Ooh, no, sure. no nothing, nothing for Wyoming. Interesting. Now this uh, is not this is not hmm. complete. This is not complete. I'm sure. Okay, but you know, I'm willing to bet that he bled near Wyoming. How about South Dakota? 
That's not. Oh what yeah, I, I bet yeah. he has. Terry Funk and Dustin Rhodes, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, in two thousand. Oh, Ooh, oh those guys were both you know there. Wait, what year? Two thousand at a WCW yeah. house show. Oh God, you know those boys bled. They were leaking. When you get Terry Funk and a Rhodes, <laughs> uh, man, you're in cri- you're in Crimson Vest territory. Yes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, gotta love Terry Funk, man. Hey, why was the crowd so hot for the gangsters, David? Because they were over. I don't know why they were just over. I mean, like, especially New Jack. I mean, so the, I mean, they were the team was New Jack and Mustafa Saeed. We don't. We only got New Jack in this one, but. For whatever reason, those guys were just really over. And I mean, they just, they had their own unique thing where they would come out to Natural Born Killers and they would play the song the whole time. And they would come out with like, just like, like grocery carts full of weapons and they would just go ape shit. <laughs> the fans loved it. Grocery <laughs> <So>, carts. <laughs> legit. I mean, I think New Jack, he only brought a, like, he had a garbage can full of weapons, but they would legit push push like shopping carts full of weapons to the crowd who, who oh, brought the, the kitchen sink one time didn't somebody do that i think so yeah I, I i don't know but that sounds familiar like david said presentation matters yeah yes it does uh apparently raven says that he used the uh, kitchen sink at one point okay <laughs> <laughs> I, I do i do not doubt him i, I just googled kitchen sink no, that um, sounds like a very Raven thing to do. That sounds probably right. Yeah, I think. He How about Maven? Remember that guy? Yeah, Maven. Did we ever get Maven yeah. versus Raven? No, not yet. We had Maven and Al Snow versus uh, Chuck and Billy. Dude, uh, I think a, yeah, a Maven versus Raven match did happen at one point in WWF. Oh my god! March twenty eighth, two thousand two. On SmackDown Hardcore title match, Maven versus Raven. Of course we did. I'm so glad that this match happened. (laughs) David's going to watch that afterwards. I'm going to watch that episode of SmackDown like right now. (laughs) So let's let's wrap these things up. Let's go to our two and a half marks. Jake. I'll start us off. All right, cool. So I'm giving my... uh, I've gone back and forth on some of these. So I'm giving my negative half mark to the live helicopter shots that we've already talked about. <laughs> because I just thought they were so dumb. And it was like, like, I guess at the time, like, like when did cops first become a show? Somebody Google that for me really quick. Uh, it's got to be the 90s, right? Like, was it before this? I would. Well, I actually don't know. Let me look it up. Because I feel like that's where this popularity Ooh. of this. Cops debuted in 1989. Oh, yeah. Okay, sure. So, yeah. like, they de- that's definitely where they got this whole idea from, right? Like, Probably, from cops yeah. and, like, fi- like, filing police chases or whatever. I don't know. I thought it was cheesy. I thought it was dumb. Whoever the dude was in the copter had no idea how to speak and, like, <sighs> like not cut a promo, but basically cut a promo. The guy had no idea whatsoever. He had no improv skills, like... I'm not no, the best no. talker whatsoever, but I would do a better job than Lance. Yeah, I would hope, he's, I would think he's so. literally just sitting up there going like, yeah, you know, the Sandman's driving around and I, he's trying to get back and I, I don't know what's going on, guys. It's really dark and I can't see anything, so I don't know. I don't know what to say right now. <laughs> the poor guy was terrified. As you could tell, yeah. he was terrified. So that that's where my negative half mark goes. I actually decided 
I told you guys last night I was calling dibs on this one, and I have reversed course. I am now giving a positive one mark to Joey Styles because he was doing a one-man commentary, and I think he pulled it off. I personally think he let the matches breathe. He he let the storytelling happen naturally. And I mean, sure, Joey Styles is going to Joey Styles with the oh my gods and stuff like that. Fine. But I was going to give it a negative mark. And then I decided, you know what? I bet you it wasn't Joey Styles' decision to go it alone. They probably didn't want to pay somebody to do it with him. Yeah, almost undoubtedly. Right. So, you know what? Props to him for doing his damnedest. And also, did you guys hear him say Jerry the King Lawler at one point? He was like, and now we're going to go to Jerry the King Lawler. Yes. I was like, why did you say it like that, (laughs) dude? So, one mark to Joey Styles for doing his best. And boys, you know what the negative two marks is going to. Get Bill Alfonso and his goddamn whistle off of my screen. I'm sick of his shit. He didn't shut up for either of the matches he was involved in. It was trash. How can you focus on... Imagine being there. Like, I could turn my volume down. Imagine being there and not being able to do that. Oh, God. Negative two marks. Get him out of my screen. Pretty tough. All right. I'll follow that up. Uh, I also w- went back and forth a little bit with these. I had to think about them for a little bit. My negative half mark is going to be match flow. I just feel like throughout the card, it feels like there's a lot of things like mashed together that doesn't lead to like a cohesive pay-per-view or a cohesive wrestling match. I think Taz and Chris Candido had the best like full match in terms of like how it flowed together. But afterwards, it feels I felt like everything was a little bit choppy. It looks like there was like things that didn't go well. Like if we had Lance Storm watching these matches and coaching them up, I feel like he would say something similar. Um, my one mark is going to pile drivers and DDTs. I love those moves, especially the pile driver. It's such a, it's a movie you don't really see a lot of. Um, Undertaker was like really the only guy who ever did it with WWE uh, in recent memory in terms of my watching. You're starting to see it, a lo- it used a little bit more often now, especially like in AEW. It's just a very like the power level of a pile driver is just astronomical and then ddt's too like i feel like they're very it's a very simple move but it has that impact it looks really it's simple but it looks really cool it looks like it'd be really devastating in the right circumstances so i'm giving my one mark to pile drivers and ddt's because they were very much featured on the show my negative two marks someone shoved that fucking whistle down bill alfonso's throat (laughs) i it's just this piercing noise and it's just so distracting from the match because especially with how the crowd wasn't really reacting with how the production is like everything like is very budgeted but the one thing you can definitely hear every fucking time is bill alfonso blowing his whistle for no rhyme or reason there's no pattern to when he's blowing it it's just whenever bill alfonso feels like he wants to blow it he blows it i'll tell you what man i would rather watch john higgins referee every west virginia game for the rest of my life than have to listen to bill alfonso's whistle for for even five more minutes, shove it up his ass sideways. Hey, and you, you know why they let him do that so much? I just realized it. It didn't cost him any money. Correct. He blew that shit for free. They didn't have to pay for it. True. That's Put true. Bill, 
Put Bill Alfonso's whistle on commentary. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't even want to entertain that idea with a, with a spare thought. So we're just gonna move past it. Um, I'm going to give my half mark to a guy that was on the show for two minutes. Of course, I am giving it to one of my. I, I talk about this guy all the time. How big of a fan I am. I think I've said this over and over again throughout the run of the show. And I am a big John Cronus fan from the Eliminator. Oh my god! That man showed up. Him and New Jack were crazy over. They beat the shit out of a bunch of dudes, and then John Cronus hit a 450 splash, and we got out of there. And I thought it was sick. That is not a small man. He is like six four, two hundred fifty pounds. He kills a dude with a 450 splash. I thought it looked sick, and I was like, you know what, damn dude, John Cronus, kick ass, bro. That was sweet. I'm going to give my negative one. We already talked about this ad nauseum, but I had to put it on. I just called him in my notes, helicopter idiot. (laughs) Yeah, like like we said, the poor guy just didn't know what was going on. I think he was just really nervous to be on camera or something, just not comfortable talking on air. It did not work out, and it just – it killed everything. Like, he just – like, I I feel like when you're in that spot, you should be like – hyping this up like oh man the sandman's coming back and once he gets here he's gonna you know whoop some ass but he just seemed like confused and and maybe even also frightened to be in a helicopter (laughs) i didn't think about that so i don't know it just didn't work he's like brian heidick on an elephant yeah he he had that's a very good reference a survivor thailand reference (laughs) season five of survivor here you're welcome that's very good um and I'm going to give my negative two to I, I wrote it. I wrote down pay per views that look like house shows, but really just the overall. I think this is what brought this show down. We haven't really touched on it that yeah. much. The production values of this show were very, very low rent, and it's interesting because at the time they are they've got this working relationship with WWF, and you see just how far behind they were WWF in their production values. It looks like instead of it being like this is supposed to be a pay per view event, it looks like like a pretty good tape of a house show. <laughs> like it, yeah, like like that you would get on you know like tape trading because it's 1997 and the internet doesn't exist really. Um, you know, it's like you have the one. It looks like every single All Japan house show I've ever watched. It's like you've got the one hard cam that's just facing at the ring that whenever they're in the ring it's just this one camera that maybe pans back and forth a little bit as stuff's going on and then you have one dude on the floor with a camera who follows the people around when they're on the floor and that's it and just all the video packages sucked all the graphics sucked it just looked like a really like like a pretty good at the time video of a house show but this is a pay-per-view just really makes this promotion look low rent and shitty. I don't yeah. even hate the single like hard cam. I feel like that like could be unique. But the problem is when you have like no other like you have the one cam on the ringside and just the one cam. There's there's not two cams to like quickly <laughs> catch the angles. So you're waiting for that. So you're going back to that single hard cam frequently and waiting for a guy to get in position after running around the ring. And just again, I think that goes to the match flow. It just kind of breaks everything up. Yeah. Yeah. Bad. I didn't think it was great. It, I, I just thought it it really 
it took away from everything, honestly. It did, it did take away from everything, to be honest with you. And, and the audio, like, you couldn't, I, I don't know if you said that, couldn't hear the crowd, which maybe it was because they sucked, but you couldn't hear them if they didn't suck. Yeah, I, I think it was a combination of the crowd wasn't hot to start with, but it also, you know, it didn't really sound like, you know, like, it, it made it sound worse than maybe it was because the the sound just set up at the show was not good. It didn't capture the crowd really well at all. But yeah, that's ECW Hardcore Heaven 1997, baby. That'll wrap up our coverage of the show. So that'll bring us to our final order of business. We are going to hit the randomizer. And we're going to find out what we're going to be watching next week on the pod. As I pull this up, what do you boys want to see? I want some CM Punk. Um, I want something with a good promo on it. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are, A, not going to be seeing any CM Punk. And, B, there might be some good promos on it. This is a good promo era. We have been, many times, been begging and begging for some 80s WWE. Oh, wow. Ladies and gentlemen, at long last, at long last, we finally hit it. We are going back to 1989. The Mega Powers will explode tonight. WrestleMania 5. Let's go. Events, Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage in the climactic moments of Honestly, in my opinion, one of the great wrestling storylines and feuds of all time. It is Hogan and Macho Man and just all kinds of dudes up and down this card. A lot of guys we have not talked about. And this is this is good shit, man. I, we've had a few 80s cards from WCW. We've had at least two or three, maybe. I'm not sure we had an 80s WWF. I think we've only had had an 80s WWF. I want to say the earliest WWF show we had might have been what, like 95 or 94 era? That sounds about right. I'll have to double check and look through. But I'm just hyped to have Prime Macho Man. Yes. This is one of the biggest matches of Macho Man's career. It is Hogan and Macho Man in their prime, the mega powers exploding. And ladies and gentlemen, in 2021, we are bringing back the Mega Powers handshake. We're, oh, we we're doing it, brother. Much love, brother. HH. So, next week, WrestleMania 5, Hogan and Macho Man. And that will finish up episode 41 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Statman, and for my good friends, Angelo Anglisa and Jake Long, thanks everybody for listening.